excited to welcome you to this episode and to this podcast. And we're going to come to you once a month with interviews, ideas, career inspiration. Each episode is going to be roughly based around a theme. And we're going to have discussions with women in foreign policy. And we're going to have commentary from me and Annika. Hello! Before we start this month's discussion, though, we thought we would take a minute to introduce ourselves. My name is Annika. Uh, This summer, I'm living in Washington, D.C., working at a nuclear nonproliferation foundation before I head to Geneva, Switzerland to do my master's in international affairs in the fall. Um, I have a bike named Mike, and I am trying to get better at cooking. And I'm Ashley. I recently received my master's degree in international relations from King's College London. I also live in Washington, D.C. I write exclusively with fountain pens, and I love anything elderflower flavored. I love it. So what is Women in Foreign Policy? I think Ashley hit the nail on the head. Uh, We'll be bringing interviews and wisdom from women who work in the foreign policy field. The whole idea behind this site started in 2014 was to provide inspiration and career advice to young women looking to come into this field. And this first episode that we're doing today, welcome, is around innovation. Women who are working in the field, particularly as innovators and trailblazers. And honestly, it feels really natural to be doing a first episode of a podcast about innovation. (laughs) I think a lot of what we're doing here today, making this podcast, is really innovating on the older idea of womeninforeignpolicy.org and turning a print form into a podcast form coming to you sonically in your ears. Um, And I think that really gets at the idea of what innovation is. So a lot of times we think that innovation is that a new idea had to fall from the sky and then we brought it into the world. But the reality is that innovation can be so much more. It can be taking an old idea and creating a new. It can be bridging connections in the world that we had never thought to make. Biomimicry being a great example, taking inspiration from the animal and plant kingdoms and allowing that to inform our problem solving. So Today, we're going to be talking with women uh, about their thoughts on innovation. But before we do that, do you have anything you want to add about innovation? Yeah, I mean, we talked to a certain extent before we started recording and before we even like sat down to to write sort of the outline for this podcast about how this form of innovation was particularly unique because there was a teamwork aspect to it. And we found that we were having an easier time or if not easier than at least a more pleasant time <laughs> with this process just because we had each other both to to rely on when when our own skill sets or experience failed but also to to hold each other accountable yeah that's totally true so over the course of this episode we're going to explore the concept a bit more speaking with trailblazing women across a variety of fields Women in Foreign Policy previously interviewed Bonnie Chu, Marissa Conway, Shireen Shantosam, and Diana Nassar, who will let introduce themselves. Our first guest is Marissa Conway. She's based in London and is the co-founder and UK director of the Center for Feminist Foreign Policy, a research and advocacy organization whose mission is to promote people-centered policy. Feminist Foreign Policy um, initially sort of has sprung out of the master's dissertation that I wrote a couple months ago. Um, Our next guest, Diana Nassar, now works at Amazon. 
I'm Diana. I'm 27 years old in a month, actually. Um, I work as a product manager at a, an e-commerce company called uh, Souq.com. Um, I'm based in Amman, Jordan, uh, and I'm also a 2016 TechCommon fellow. And because all processes have hiccups, uh, we have the transcript from an amazing interview with Bonnie Chu, but no corresponding audio. We didn't want to lose out on the wisdom she shared, so we'll be reading her thoughts to you as we continue through the episode. Uh, but just to start her out with an introduction, Bonnie started Lensational, an organization designed to equip underprivileged, marginalized women in developing countries with cameras and photography training. She says photography is a universal language that transcends cultural barriers. And finally, Shireen Santosham is Chief Innovation Officer for the Office of the Mayor of the City of San Jose, California, Sam Licardo. So, to begin, we wanted to frame this concept from a number of different angles, and immediately we began to wonder, how do you know if an idea is innovative? Marissa had an interesting response. I focused on a feminist analysis of the Iran nuclear deal and looked at masculinity within U.S. defense intellects and kind of how that influences how foreign policy is shaped around like national security issues. Um, and in the conclusion, I, I tried to kind of write more of a tangible, like, what actually can we do? How can we kind of shift this? How can we interrupt it a little bit? So that became the theoretical foundation for now this website, Feminist Foreign Policy, which is just about um, kind of questioning power, questioning hierarchies, rethinking structure, kind of re-envisioning the status quo of foreign policy. I love this concept of interruption. I think that interruption these days is a total buzzword. Um, and I, I, I mean, I really am curious myself in my career as I explore uh, the work that I do is how do we interrupt foreign policy, particularly how do we interrupt um, over bloated and or systemically oppressive um, structures that prevent innovation and, and prevent kind of this flow of ideas and this flow of problem solving. Um, and, you know, obviously in my mind, there's a lesson here in looking at the way that things are and asking, is this the only way that this can be done? And does this have to really look like this? I think that that really gets at some of the work that Marissa is doing. And speaking of systemic oppression, uh, we are talking about women. We are talking about women in a traditionally male-dominated field. So another thing that we were wondering is, how is your life as a foreign policy innovator different than a comparable man? How How is your innovation different than it would be if you were a man? Would you have been innovating if you were a man? Or would you have just stuck to the status quo that benefited you? And I think that we got some, some interesting answers. So a big part of working in STEM generally is keep pushing boundaries because it's a very competitive place to work in. And it is true that it's very... Um, sexist kind of place to be working in, uh, you have to prove yourself. As a female, you have to prove yourself double it, even because sometimes you're the only female in the meeting room, and you have to use this with you and not make it against you. Uh, you have to be a very powerful woman, but you also have to be very resilient about the things that you face and to never give up. It saddens me on a personal level because I know so many people from my class, so many girls who are now just married and 
not using the the skills that they acquired i know it's it can be a personal decision for them and that's totally fine but sometimes i feel like it's more of a society decision rather than a personal decision it's what society enforces them to do um, most of the time people or girls especially in my community feel like they have to, to choose between their work and their personal life their family commitments and everything around that this is actually something I like, I like about technology and I'd like to highlight is that with technology, you can always find a solution. Uh, you can work from home, you can work remotely, you can be a contractor from home, you can do lots of things if you have uh, these skills. I believe that the main problem here is that girls aren't exposed enough to the opportunities out there. They just don't know that that's even an option. I talk to them and they just think that they have to go from uh, 8 to 5 and that's just not feasible for them. I believe that if we raise awareness um, about remote work opportunities, um, if we actually support women by having a little bit of better working conditions, especially in the technology sector, I mean, they are an untapped resource. We cannot deny this. Uh, to just keep remembering that you, if the more power that you gain in this sector, the more responsibility that you have to your uh, fellow um, female or to your fellow woman, let's say. So um, just keep these issues in your mind and keep speaking up about them. Keep suggesting, just suggesting internship opportunities in your company. Keep talking about including more women in your department. Uh, keep doing it. I really try to do this all the time. And I try to bring up more interns to the company um, female intern, sorry, female interns to my company, because I believe that this is actually an issue, and the more power I have to solve it, the more I try to actually solve it. So Diana basically advocates for exposing young women to more opportunities and exposing all women to opportunities to work flexibly and to work in a way that best fits their goals. And that doesn't always mean their career goals. And I think that's something that's really important, that you can want to be innovative and you can also want to go home at 3 p.m. so you can pick up your kids. And mm. I think that we can't shut out women who need that kind of support and women who have incredible things to offer the foreign policy community or the STEM community who don't have a nine to five sort of life. Yeah, it's so true. I think that that's something that the burden is really placed on women to advocate for themselves. Absolutely. And I think that's where uh, really leaning into the support structures of being in a community of women for those of us who are lucky to work with other women or work um, in pro close proximity to other women to really rely on one another and um, kind of band together. Um, I mean, you and I already, we already talked about the benefits of teamwork and, and making this podcast. And I think it can just benefit us in so many other ways. I know Bonnie Chu actually said something about that too. She said, there's only so much that one person can do, no matter how brilliant or talented. So you need to build a team, collaborate with other organizations. It shouldn't be focused on you. It should focus on the cause or the purpose. It takes a movement to really change the world. Absolutely. Teamwork is great. And as we talked about earlier, accountability. But then there are times that, that we do fail. And sometimes maybe we fail because we weren't working as a team. Mm -hmm. And no one, no one sees that. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about how I wish that we had had 
more information from these women about the times that they had failed. I know that there have certainly been times in my life when because I failed to collaborate, I burned out. Or because I failed to collaborate, I maybe didn't advance as far as I would have. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely bummed that we don't have those stories of failure from the women we interviewed because it's helpful. Uh, it's easy to miss out on lessons when we don't actually talk about failure. I think people really avoid talking about their failures because we consider it like shameful or embarrassing to have made an earnest attempt at something and then not succeed. We are a culture of being so super cool about everything and then it's not cool to have wanted something and especially like wanted it desperately and not gotten it. Yeah, to to have to have tried and failed is is so embarrassing and and we're so obsessed with keeping an image of ourselves as having a great career and a great life and I'm so happy and where where is the space to process failure where is the space to process those lessons I think failure happens and it happens to all of us um and so I guess I'm curious about with these women what what keeps them going when things get difficult what where do they draw their motivation and inspiration? Yeah, I think that the question of how you stay motivated when sort of terrible things are happening all around you and maybe the the beautiful plan you crafted is collapsing. <laughs> um, but this is another one of those moments where I was just so deeply like spoken to by what Bonnie said in her interview because she said, like, focus on your purpose. What she said was, the other key thing is to understand your purpose as it can be quite tiring to do so much and work so hard. Knowing your purpose will make things easier. It might be daunting when someone says, find your purpose. Some people are luckier. Their purpose is obvious to them. Yeah, purpose is not always obvious. (laughs) Uh, I think we need support and resources and, and people around us to kind of help point us in that right direction. I really agree that purpose is our North Star. Uh, but I, I definitely don't want to alienate any listeners to the show who might not know exactly what that is now. I know that we hope that Women in Foreign Policy is a great resource for more career inspiration and for advice and and kind of helping folks find their purpose. But I, I also know that Shireen had some great recommendations when it comes to resources or even alternative paths that aren't well publicized. I've always done joint degrees. So I did an undergraduate degree in business um, from Wharton and then also a degree from the college in international relations. And then I did something similar when I was at Harvard. So I went to the Kennedy School and then also the Harvard Business School. Um, and that kind of cross-training has been really impactful on my career path. The power in that intersection, right? So build it, you know, because so few people have cross-trained skills, um, it, you know, there's a lot of smart people in the world doing amazing things, but to have the cross training allows you to really look at problems from multiple perspectives, um, and come up with solutions in a different way. It also allows you to speak almost the different languages of different sectors. So you're not sort of bounded by speaking only in business language or in the language of politics. You can actually think about, um, both of, both of them and, and connect with people, uh, in both sectors, which I think is really important, especially as you start to, you know, get more senior in your career. I love this advice so much. 
when you have different angles and experience to draw from, it really helps keep you moving. Today, more than ever, the world is nuanced. I think, you know, economic decisions have security implications and development strategies affect diplomatic relations. But for listeners who plan to spend their careers in this sector, I think it's wise to create a strong, comprehensive baseline understanding of many disciplines, just like she she argues. And I think that the other thing that I really want to take a moment to talk about is not feeling trapped. If you wake up one day and you realize like, oh no, like my background or my degree isn't a thing I don't want to do. Because like, Some people might know this about me, but my undergraduate degree is in theater. I have a Bachelor of Arts in theater. I trained as a stage manager. And when you say that to someone at a conference or when you say that to a professor or to a colleague in like a happy hour after you've had a class together, they look at you like you are bananas. (laughs) They look at you like you have wandered off of the moon and into their classroom. And what are you doing here? And how did you get here? And why are you at the same prestigious school that I'm at? Because I have a degree in poli sci. I love the people who are like, yeah, my undergraduate degree was playing the tuba. And it's like, Welcome. Yes, you belong here. Correct. Hybrid sectors. Yes. That's the thing. They do belong there because I am a better foreign policy practitioner. Not just I am as good as. I am a better foreign policy practitioner because of the background I have. Mm -hmm. Because what I did was I trained as a stage manager. And what that gave me the opportunity to do was to practice high stakes decision making and creative thinking in a space where no one dies if I get it wrong. Yes, (laughs) it feels really important in that moment that if the doorknob falls off, no one in the audience notices but in the long term it doesn't affect geopolitics so I get to have the practice of making those decisions before I have to make them or maybe I get to make them at the UN isn't that what innovation is though I mean like circling back to where we started it's this idea of taking one idea uh, taking one practice discipline theater and connecting it to another innovation is truly like I am not I've never thought that I've been a, a straightforward creative person. I don't I don't often have ideas what you know, what do I write an article about, etc. Um, I'm much better at building bridges and drawing connections. And so I think what you've done with taking your skills from theater and and bringing them into the work that you do now, that's actually really innovative. Here's to having long careers in this field. <laughs> so Uh, For those of us who still have years to go, as you and I do, uh, we wondered what is one piece of advice that these women would share for people who are hoping to innovate and to shape the future of foreign policy? I think because foreign policy is still such an elite institution, it seems like a very difficult thing to break into, and it's something that I've wanted to get into, and... um, just didn't really know where to start so um like I read your site for a while now like this is just sort of in hopes to open the door to other people who might be interested but who might be thinking that it's just not really possible because they don't have the right connections or they don't have the right background or whatever I thought that about myself a lot and it's just it's nonsense I think if foreign policy is going to be relevant and be I don't know, progressive and be worthwhile. It needs new voices and it needs fresh ideas and easier said than done, of course. Um, But I think, especially with feminism, 
just from the gender equality angle, I think, I don't, I don't know. I guess I can speak for myself and I can just say I'm just like really tired of women being subjugated and not being taken seriously in politics yeah. and um, yeah. I think I try to, rem to remind myself of this each and every day is to never lose hope because the moment we lose hope and stop believing in ourselves, um, this is all going to be done. Uh, I believe that we need to keep doing what we're doing and keep setting an example. Um, each one can make a difference. And if we all believe in ourselves and do the small difference that we can, then all of us as a nation can do something. I know this is really, really hard, but let's not lose hope and let's keep believing in ourselves. I'd say, you know, one, um, you know, be persistent, <laughs> be persistent and be willing to, to experiment a little. Like with my career path, it hasn't been a straight line. And so, um, you know, you have to take sort of calculated risks and be willing to, you know, at different points in my career, people said, well, you know, are you sure you want to, you sure you want to leave? Because, uh, you know, you're on this great path, like, why would you change? You know, and I say, sort of trust yourself and, and take those risks. So Bonnie Chu told us to avoid comparing yourself with others, which is something I have to remind myself about literally daily. And I mean <laughs> the actual, like, dictionary definition of literally there every single day. Bonnie said, when I was young, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. As a young girl, I remember being quite daunted by stories of wonderful women. I thought it was too out of my league. Be inspired by other women who have done great things, but don't compare yourself to them. Everyone has a different own path to create change. Other people's stories can teach us lessons, but don't feel intimidated. If we're too intimidated, we won't take action. Don't feel scared. Just do it. Annika, I identify <laughs> with that so strongly. So many of my failures come not from trying and then not succeeding, but from losing motivation before I even try. I struggle with spending too much time watching other people succeed and succeed without experiencing any of the failures or the setbacks that certainly preceded their highly publicized success. It's on Facebook, it's on LinkedIn, and that leads me to losing motivation and potentially robs the world of innovative contributions I could have made. That kind of comparison can be so toxic. And I think especially in the early stages of a career in this industry, it's so easy to slip into. I do want to say that I think the key in what you said in there is that it would rob the world of the innovative contributions you could have made, which is to say that there are innovative contributions within you and there are innovative contributions within me. And honestly, I'm prepared to say within every person listening to the show, I think, I think innovation is so much more than Silicon Valley. It is so much more than what is flashy and new and fits conveniently into an application on your phone. I think what I've learned from these women today is that innovation starts with an idea and a sense that something could be different in the world. It really does not serve us, particularly as women, to play small and to doubt our contributions. Absolutely. You are 100% right. And I think it's vital that we make the mental and the conversational and the social space for innovations that are 
for lack of a better word, innovative, that, <laughs> that don't come from the conventional places where we go looking for our innovators and that don't come from a white man in a turtleneck. <laughs> like we have to dream radically bigger to address the kinds of problems that you and I and our generation of foreign policy practitioners are going to be faced with. We're going to be the standard bearers of this field. And the more power you have in foreign policy, the more responsible you are for shaping the future of the sector. And that's not just like a pivy thing that I'm saying. Literally, modern foreign policy practitioners are shaping the future that you and I are inheriting to deal with. Absolutely. And it really comes from a place of standing in and understanding our own capacity and our own potential and and not doubting that. And then, I mean, really supporting one another and what we do, not thinking that we have to go the distance on our own. Absolutely. And I, I think that we had a conversation earlier about like women supporting other women in the workplace and like your colleagues coming through for you when you need that support. But I think something we really need to emphasize is that like this can't be a solution that only women or only like under 25s or whatever, like go out and try and fix like the men in my office are just as responsible for building a better world as I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Monica. <sighs> I think we just made our first podcast. I think we did. Aw, look at us. Yay. Oh, man. Okay, we well. We did it. So that's it. That's this month's episode. We will be back at the end of August with episode two. But in the meantime, please come talk to us on the internet. We're on Twitter at Women in FP. Uh, women in Foreign Policy, Women in FP. And my personal Twitter is at Annika E.P., A-N-N-I-K-A-E-P. Yeah, we really do want to know what you'd like to hear on these episodes, so please come find us. I'm at, at Ashley underscore E underscore Pratt. That's P-R-A-T-T. If you like the work we're doing, please consider supporting us via PayPal at L-M-Goulet, spelled G-O-U-L-E-T, or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy.